Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Good evening. Welcome to another edition of Radio Islam. I'm your host, Tariq Al Amin, and we are broadcasting on WCEV 1450 AM, streaming live at www.wcev1450.com. If you are new to the Radio Islam family, we welcome you. Thanks for tuning in. This is a extremely fast hour of radio. We broadcast every day from 6 to 7 p.m. Central, right here from the wonderful city of Chicago, Illinois. And you can keep up with us by following and liking our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you will find us at Radio Islam USA. And you can also listen to all of our previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. So if that's iTunes, TuneIn, Google Play, or SoundCloud, you will find us at Radio Islam USA. Last but not least, feel free to tweet us, or if you'd like to give us a phone call, you can do that at 312-750-1178. That's 312-750-1178. I'm always saying everything twice. Make sure you got it. And uh, we're just going to jump right into our uh, conversation tonight. Uh, We have with us in studio uh, Ferris Buttercut. He is the executive director of the Lighthouse Project, and this is... uh, this effort, this this project, this is something that really was born out of uh, horrific uh, circumstances that that most people will never know. Um, but he has turned this into well into a space of light, and uh, so we're, we're really pleased to have him with with us here in studio. Assalamu alaikum. Waalaikumsalam. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. So uh, for the Radio Islam family who may not be familiar with the Lighthouse Project. Would you go ahead and give a give a little bit of history um, as to how it came into existence, and sure. and what what's its mission? Sure. Back in February of fifteen, um, many may remember the Chapel Hill shootings, um, which rocked the conscience of many Muslim Americans, and um, in it, my brother and his wife and her sister were murdered in their Chapel Hill apartment. Um, first, the narrative came out, you know, about a parking dispute. Um, then the their legacy, their service, their kindness, who they were, shined, and um, I think that kind of dominated the discussion for a while. And now, you know, we're back to how can we share their story and, and to make sure that uh, such an important story for the American um, time, like just you know, for Muslims, for non-Muslims, for America, is, is, is the history of having Muslims join and be part of this American fabric. You know, um, what we do and, and what we focused on as part of the Lighthouse Project um, is more or less parallel to the R3 Winners Foundation, which started in the immediate aftermath. The R3 Winners Foundation quickly started when my brother was planning a dental relief trip to the Turkish border with Syria. Mm. He was a second-year dental student. Yusuf had just got accepted to UNC Dental School. They married six weeks earlier. Um and at the time of the murder, my brother had a live crowdfunding campaign. He was at 16 of 20,000 for, um, for his goal, for his trip. They were murdered, and people poured in over $600,000 in donations. So what we did is we endowed, we set up a wakf, we endowed the, the money after putting the first 50000 toward that year. We went on the trip, and we've been on the you know, funding um, dental relief trip ever since. Um, the foundation put up over $150,000 in grants, and we continue to do that. Um, for me personally, I felt like I wanted to do more in my local community. Um, 
and it really kind of centralized around a house that my mom, my dad inherited from my brother. My brother had a rental property in downtown. Um, mom and dad were, you know, uh, asking how do we how do we continue their legacy through this and you know came up with the name that I love the lighthouse my brother's name Bliat translates from Arabic to English as meaning light mm-hmm. so we called it the lighthouse and right now if you look at a picture of the house around the around the front um, there's a quote by Dr. King it says darkness cannot drive out darkness only light can do that hate cannot drive out hate only love can do that and ultimately I want people to see it as a a testament, a, a representation of who Muslim Americans are and, and how we respond to difficulty. Um, and our focus has been youth and, and empowering youth leaders. And, you know, we got that focus from a tweet my brother had tweeted. What was that? We were working on, a, you know, renovating the house. It's a 105-year-old house. And my mom sends me a screenshot of a tweet. And he says, I have a dream that one day we'll have a structured and organized community and help the youth with their projects. Um, and since then, we were, you know, it's 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 crazy for my brother to have said, "I have a dream," to have to want to accomplish something like that, and um, and I, you know, in a, in a sense, any use of that house um, is a sadaqa jariya, but but also the the vision that we have for it hopefully fulfills that dream of his and is a tool for for him to continue to um, to feel our presence and in, in the in the work that we're doing in their name. Um, but also, inshallah, is a path for us to, you know, achieve our own personal salvation and ultimately become winners, per se, and um, and to win in this life and join them in the next, inshallah. Inshallah. So you've maintained the, the focus on dental outreach and dental service, uh, that being one of the things that joined them as a couple. Um, I, I recall reading that they both had uh, plans to to travel abroad to to provide uh, dental services mm-hmm. to uh, communities that otherwise not might not be able to receive them. Mm-hmm. So you've been able to continue that as one of the focuses of the lighthouse as well. That's been the focus of the R three Winners Endowment. Okay, right. So okay. they're kind of parallel organizations. The R three Winners Endowment came out immediately, mm-hmm. um, and in the way actually we got the name R three Winners is the night of the murders. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk about what happened, what didn't happen. Um, and I knew the importance of getting out information directly from the family. So what I did is I created a Facebook page. And at first I was thinking R3 Angels, you know, something like that along those lines, something more cliche. <laughs> yeah. um, but then I thought about it. They're not angels, but literally they won. And that's the first thought that came to my mind. I don't know what's happening tonight. I don't know anything of this is true. But if, just if, they were in fact the ones murdered that night, they won. They were at a time in their life, they were at the pinnacle of everything. And, and if life is a test, they won it. Like, absolutely, no doubt in anybody's mind and what was so powerful about it. Um, so that night, I created a Facebook page called R3 Winners. And they've, um, you know, we shared updates from the Janazza and whatnot and had over 8,000 people attend. And, you know, that name stuck. And, and I think it was powerful because we start to think of them not as victims, but as, as heroes, as Muslim Americans who who give back and care. Um, and, yeah, we took that 600000 that was donated, and we have funded a trip every year now to do dental relief work um, through the endowment. Exactly. And awesome. the, the point of an endowment is it will continue to grow and continue to give back. Right, right. We haven't had to go back to you know solicit donations to make this happen. It happens every year because of the endowment. Uh, and we're looking to grow the endowment. We're looking to do more um, in the fight against biases against minorities and etc um but the lighthouse project has a more of a you can say more of a focus in raleigh north carolina 
let's let's go. Uh, as a matter of fact, let's kind of delve into the uh, the slogan right under the Lighthouse Project on the website. Mm-hmm. It says reclaiming the Muslim American narrative. Yes, sir. And I connect that directly to what you said in the beginning. You said uh, as many people who who remember, uh, and and I'm sure this is something that's kind of indelibly just etched in the minds of, of many Muslim Americans and, and, and Americans in general that there was a narrative that was cast about the mm-hmm. motive of the uh, of the individual mm-hmm. uh, that, that took their lives uh, and it was over a parking dispute or mm-hmm. it was it was really it was almost benign uh, and it had very little to do with uh, with white supremacist tendencies it had very little to do with with bigotry or hatred and uh, does this idea of reclaiming the Muslim American narrative, does it give room to, uh, to, to recognize that these are some of the obstacles that we as Muslims face? Absolutely. So the, the, the chief of police who put out that has since apologized and, you know, have come crying. And at some point he said he thought it would be, you know, comforting to the family to know that it wasn't just about the religion, that there was another element um, and, you know, more or less, it's it's a parking dispute just as much as Rosa Parks' struggle was over a bus seat, you know. Right. Um, you know, we can't say that a bus seat wasn't involved or a parking spot wasn't involved, but who was murdered in their apartment at point blank? Um, Yusuf and Razan were, were shot at point blank. The gun literally to their hijab. Right. Shot right through the midbrain. Um, you know, in um, the fact that there was this idea that he was a parking lot bully, you can't take away the fact that he was also very anti-theist. Mm-hmm. He hated religion. Specifically, he mentioned several times about how Yusur chose to dress. And and it really, like, the, the tension increased when Yusur moved in. Again, they got married six weeks before that. You know, and that's when she moved in, and the tensions increased. And, um, and the narrative is important. You know, think back three years. We didn't... You know, as a as a community, as a as a as a society, agree really that Islamophobia was a real thing, um, and I think that's what a lot of um, African Americans were trying to yell, like, "Guys, there's racist people out there. Listen, right?" Um, yeah. And I don't think it was until you know Trump came along in his campaign that really surfaced that stuff. And you know, um, the idea was back then, especially, let's identify it for what it is, and if we don't, we're never going to address this issue. We're never going to get better as a country if we just think it's some little dispute that happened and as if it's okay to get killed over a parking dispute, you know? Right. Um, so the work that we do, you know, we focus on, on the youth work and empowering people who were literally like Dia Yusun Razan. We celebrated Dia Yusun Razan for, for their work, for their giving back. My brother's last Facebook post was mentioned several times in news media as, as a representation of who he was, of, you know, giving dental relief to, to um, uh, the homeless in downtown. And, Project Downtown has happened monthly for the past four years. It started before their murders and continues after. And the idea is, like, I'm supporting the, the folks who literally every day remind me of, of the awesome, you know, the, the, um, the incredible values that we put to work um, out of the work. And one of the byproducts really is to be able to then come out and talk and share our stories and represent who we are as Muslim Americans, mm. um, ultimately reclaiming the narrative. If somebody... Um, you know, doesn't understand the importance of storytelling, tell them that if we're not telling our own story, somebody else is telling it for us or Absolutely. nobody's telling it at all. And, and, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, I, I think if I can think back to the burdens that, that kind of burdened me, one is 
it's not easy to tell the community, hey, guys, I'm going to address your youth issues. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> put the burden on me. That's that's a big burden on its own. And mm. I do my, my best in, in trying to empower them and, you know, giving them, um, you know, their own brand to work under. And we can talk about how the Lighthouse works specifically. But that second burden is, is continuing to share the uh, sort of Zen story. Right. Um, but, you know, on Monday we were invited as a family to um, – the Modern Museum of Art in New York by Katie Couric and the National Geographic team. Mm -hmm. They had a red carpet event, and they're premiering an episode of um, a a series called America Inside Out, and it's about Muslim Americans, where she came to Raleigh, North Carolina, and told the story of our three winners um, and shared other stories around Raleigh and New York. And um, I felt, you know, that night, it's, you know, Katie Couric and National Geographic lending their voice to what I've been trying to do of sharing their story and try to get the word out was, was, was a relief, but also reminded me of just how much work we have to do. There's so much work to be done. And, you know, that episode airs uh, this upcoming Wednesday mm-hmm. at 10 p.m. on the National Geographic Channel. And, and again, I hope it sparks a conversation and lets people know of the work we have to do to continue the storytelling and narrative building that we have and continuing to give Leah Yusun Rosanna a voice because their voice matters and is really, really important at a time like this. All right. So as a minority community uh, in the United States, one that is with, with so much diversity in it, uh, it's, it's extremely important that we have multiple, multiple representations of our story because I think the more that story is told, the more people can see that, that, that beautiful diversity um, that, that's present there. Uh, talk a little bit about the, the work, because you said that the Lighthouse Project, that it's, it's centered locally. Uh, so, what are some of the what are some of the projects, uh, some of the efforts that um, that it enga- that it engages in? So, the the Lighthouse Project takes a I think a model that maybe is a little bit new to the Muslim community, especially in Raleigh. I think we're 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 a community which is growing, and basically we're outgrowing our masjid in a sense too, where the masjid has been for the longest time the center of everything. Right. But now, as we're outgrowing that, how do we continue to give specialized and nimble and and, 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 you know, like more focused programs, more professional type programs for, you know, issues of the youth or, or any other issues. So for me, um, it's, yeah, it's about, you know, complementing the masjid. Ultimately, you do want people to, to, to unite around the masjid and to build the masjid into the hearts of people. But um, for me, it's, we came up with this idea of basically taking the house, setting it up as shared office space and event space and offering fiscal sponsorship which essentially allows community programs such as Triangle Muslim Aid or Muslim Women Four, instead of them starting their own nonprofit and doing their own accounting and having their own board meetings and insurance, et cetera, et cetera, we offer them a bank account, which we allow them to fundraise under our 501c3, but maintain their own brand in doing so. So they have a bank account. I do all the legal work. I do all the accounting. So they feel like it is their project. They feel like it is their program. And, you know, you don't have to worry about telling them, like, hey, please take it seriously because it's theirs, you know. Right. Um, and they continue to do that work, and they focus on the service aspect of things while I focus on empowering them and every once in a while stepping in to see how I can improve what their trajectory is or, or uh, judge their matri- metrics that they set for themselves at the beginning when they applied to be part of the program. So it sounds, it sounds similar to um, uh, a community center with a fiscal agent. Um, sort of uh, uh, to offer some oversight 
uh, and, and structure. So um, it, it just kind of repeating what you're saying, but also but I'm thinking about it in terms of some of the models that I've seen where you, you will have a fiscal agent that helps you stay on track mm-hmm. uh, monetarily, mm-hmm. uh, and you simply focus on the uh, on the, the, the programmatic uh, elements of, of whatever it is you're doing. Uh, that's yeah, that's more or less I've uh, the models that I've really had in mind when came coming up with this was, you know, I studied entrepreneurship at state, um, mm-hmm. and the idea was. If you're serious about starting a company, there's incubators, right. there's spaces where they offer you space and they offer you mentorship and a you know a shared environment to share costs and whatnot mm-hmm. as you start and grow your your um, your project and your business. And the same was true for nonprofits; they're they're business nonetheless, right. um, but they needed also that extra bit of help, which is you know having and operating and maintaining a 501c3, which is difficult work and um, you know, it's it's also important, you know, to to um, to be able to empower them to do what they want to do instead of really trying to force a brand down their throat or force them to do one thing they're not necessarily proud of and um, or feel you know most effective with. And I've loved seeing the synergy of all the the different types of you know the quote unquote types of Muslims that you you see. Like we have Muslim women four, three woke young ladies. Mm-hmm. I love the work that they do. Um, and then we have the traditional service-minded folks, and then we have the folks who want to bring in um, young professionals. So then we have all these different folks working out of the shared space, um, uniting us, but also allowing us to be who we are and, and to grow independently as well. It's an awesome model. It's an awesome model. Thank you. Yeah. And I think, um, well, here in Chicago, it's kind of, it, it's reflective of the, um, uh, what's termed as the third space. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so that's something that you've, you've instituted there. And what are some of the, um, the so the the group that you have right now that are sharing the space? Uh, are you looking to recruit uh, more? Or are you looking to expand? Uh, yeah, I always <laughs> love this question because I get to delve in a topic that people find that I'm a little crazy um, in doing. It's yeah. I also feel like the responsibility of like trying to identify issues that affect us as the youth and, and try to address them through social entrepreneurship and, and bringing being that element that brings people together that right. organizes people right. Um, and one of those issues um, for me has been marriages. I have a lot of friends who, um, you know, and I think as a Muslim community in general, we are out divorcing the divorce rate nation- nationwide. Sure. Um, and it's it's really, you know, it's affected how well we can come together. It's affected just, I think, overall happiness. And I don't know, it's, it's a really tough topic to, to have to think about. And you always think, like, is there anything we could have done? Or, or did they not go into this really knowing what they were you know, signing up for, et cetera, et cetera. So for me, you know, it's, you know, the message would say like, yeah, we'll offer some, you know, basic premarital counseling and not really be even trained for it. But for me, it's, mm. you know, how do I, how do I through social entrepreneurship address this issue? So really like I have some crazy out there ideas, but the idea is to, is to look at the industry of, of, you know, where, where money is spent, where people get married and how we can etch out a little bit of that margin for things like premarital counseling or preparations for, um, for the, not the, not just the wedding, you know, like people come together and plan a wedding, mm-hmm. but we need, we need to come together and plan a marriage. We need to, Absolutely. we need to understand what it takes and, and, um, the difficulties behind it. And it's something that's meaningful to me because a strong family is, is the route to a strong community. Mm-hmm. Um, and that overall is, something that I think can contribute to all of us. And even on a personal note, you know, D.I. Newsod, we're, we're a couple. Like, my mom still finds it hard to go to weddings because 
really the last experience we had of them together was at their wedding because otherwise they were moving in or at their honeymoon mm-hmm. um and i you know i i don't think liat or yusud would have been liat or yusud until they married and found each other and they grew through that and and i love what marriage does it, it makes you grow as an individual and it's really hard to see people go through that but then find difficulties in it right right so do you all work um you work as as a complement to uh, uh, to the masajid that are there in uh, Raleigh. I spent hours um, really trying to, you know, I think a lot of people like to complain about mosques and what they do and what they don't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I just I, I at least wanted to put it all pen to paper, um, and I identified certain things that I think the the masjid must do. Right, they must offer prayers. They must. For example, offering a nurturing space. So when they do offer a gym or a cafeteria, it's with the intention of, of increasing fellowship. Um, so I found things that I, I understood that mosque must do, and then identified ways in which they can exceed that. And and the question, though, you know, the the, the local mosque, for example, the Islamic Association of Raleigh has prioritized youth, right? So it's it's a priority for them already. Um, but the question is, as a as a center for the community. What other things are you should you should you be looking at and, and should you be working toward and and really how effective have you been in addressing the youth? Um, so, for example, our local community—I'm sure this applies elsewhere—the immigrant Muslim community and the African American Muslim community hasn't really really worked together, integrated, you know, and and we have a lot to benefit from each other. Mm-hmm. Um, where is the 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 message's role in that? They are the center of the community, as as a lot of people like to think, and so so act as such. And so, when it comes to youth work. Um, uh, you know, they're right now. You know, speaking to their um, their president, he says it's important to bring youth to the masjid, and I agree. We'll work on programs and we'll bring them to the masjid. But when it, when it's about a camp or it's about you know speaking at MSAs or doing things that are more relatable to the youth by the youth for the youth, um, I think we went out on that, um, and and it's something that's not being offered um, by the masjid, or, or nor can it be. For, for the role that it plays and having to bring everybody together. And, um, you know, we, we will continue to bring people to the masjid and, and, and unite it as, as the place for Muslims to feel um, strong and empowered. There's a, there's a strong wisdom behind the coming together of congregational prayers, and, and that wisdom is in unity. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll continue to push that, but the mosques must also work toward being better at what they're supposed to do and not fa- fall flat on that mandate. Um, and then they need to make sure it's more accessible to youth that when we're ready to come mm. that we feel welcome and, and I think a lot wouldn't feel that way and um, we feel judged or just feel like it's not a space for us and um, it's, it's unimaginable to think about all the things the youth are going through or seeing young people in, in leadership roles mm-hmm. uh, which is I think and this is not something that is actually um, specific to the Muslim community this is something that I see play out uh, throughout different uh, faith uh, traditions. Um, but I want to ask you about that. You said that's laser cut, the, the mm-hmm. quote by, by Dr. King. Mm-hmm. So you have this quote by Dr. King, you know, only love can, can drive out hate, mm-hmm. right? Um, is there a, an interfaith element, him being a, a Baptist uh, a preacher, uh, a philosopher, mm-hmm. Uh, is there an interfaith element uh, mm-hmm. that also uh, is a part of the Lighthouse Project's um, uh, mission? 
Yeah, I think I was describing the, the quote off-air, if I'm not mistaken. So basically, mm-hmm. um, what I did is in the renovation of the house, I, um, I found a quote that really spoke to me. Um, it was Dr. King's quote, and I talked about the quote. I mentioned it earlier, but what we did is we laser cut it um, using some laser cutters at State and, and have it hanging up around the porch, and it lights up at night. Right, mm-hmm. so it's light upon light, <laughs> upon <Yeah>. light. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's Dr. King on a presumably more or less a Muslim kind of uh, institution, and, and for me, it's um, the labels. I, I guess wither away when it's when we're talking about the work we have to do together, kind of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, when Dr. King spoke about um, driving out darkness with light, mm-hmm. that's a universal, right? That's a universal um, understanding of of. of how we can play as people of conscious on, on how to counter the things that are happening all around us. Do we give up and, and do we fight back and do are we angry? Like what what is the way to respond to that? And and for me it's just I'm just assuming his um, his rhetoric is, is, is the way forward, right? It's it's that light drives out darkness, not darkness. You can't fight fire with fire. Right. Um, and you know, we're in a historically black neighborhood as well. We're right next to an H like historically black community college and um, you know, a lot of people stop and, and ask what this house is about, and I love to share the story with them. Like, this is who we are, and this is what we do. And um, I work hard on making sure they feel that the space is accessible to them, and that it's that it's empowering the community, which is, you know, sad to say, being heavily gentrified by the city as we speak, but has a rich history. And, and at least my immediate neighbors have been there for for decades, and um, they love the work that we do, and are excited about the potential of it, and. Um, you know, I just so many things about this project that I just kind of go back and just say, like, I had nothing to do with this, man. It's Allah's plan, <laughs> Allah's tawfiq, Allah's, Allah's plan for me and others. Um, just as much as the Ayas and Razan were chosen to to play an important role in, in, in teaching us a lesson about life and the importance of, of living um, with being conscious of your death. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just the, the pl- you know, they play plenty of roles and God has a plan for me um, to continue that work and put me in a position to do that. And again, I take on two very heavy burdens, but apparently God says that uh, he doesn't burden you more than you can bear. So That's I'll right. continue with that burden and, and keep trying and uh, you know, ultimately just ask that we um, our acts are accepted and we end up winning. Um, you know, my brother um, was shot in the mouth Um he was actually shot several times when he first opened the door, and then Yusuf and Razan were murdered. And then on the way out, my brother was shot f- final time in the head and what killed him. Um, and he was shot through the mouth, through the teeth. And it bothered me for a really long while. Um, you know, for, for a big part of it, I didn't let the, the anger, the hate kind of consume me. I didn't want to be another victim. But I remember at Maghrib prayer one day, I was thinking about, like, why the teeth? You know, he's a dentist. Um, it just didn't make sense. And and at that point, I was like, I'm either going to be bitter about something or I'm going to, I'm going to again, resort to my faith. How can I how can I resort to my faith in this time? And, um, you know, one of the things that came to mind was, you know, if a, if a shaheed, a martyr, was killed in battle, um, from what I remember hearing, I uh, could be wrong, but <laughs> when a shaheed is killed in battle, you don't wash his blood because That's when right. you bury him, he will turn... That, that blood will turn into musk, something beautiful. So the idea is that God can replace something that is, you know, what we can see as ugly or, or you know, um, bad with something that is exceedingly great. Sure. Um, and to apply and extrapolate that logic, I felt like maybe then it did make sense. 
Was the community, um, from 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 what you witnessed, was the community uh, angry? Was the community at a place of uh, bitterness? Because as I ask this, I'm thinking about. I'm also thinking about um, the situation with. Uh, I think it's in South Carolina with uh, Dylan Roof mm-hmm. going into a, a, a church and mm-hmm. you know killing nine people and then um, and the response that came from there mm-hmm. and from what I what I'm hearing it sounds as if you had you went through a, a process mm-hmm. of, of self you know self reflection and and I'm going to either go this way or I'm going to go that way. Uh, did was the community uh, in your estimation did did you also see that same type of uh, process taking place? Yeah, I think um, as individuals, some individuals may have resorted to anger. Um, in some, you know, I, I think I give credit to my mom on this. Like she really tried to push it that we're we're not fighting fire with fire. Um, you know, realize that. In the, in the international media, what's being told is an American killed three Muslims, right? That is fuel to ISIS. That is fuel to people who want to push this narrative that Muslims are, you know, um, in this, you know, versus the West. Like there's this dichotomy, black versus white, kind of a Muslim versus the West, and, and let's go attack an American target somewhere. We didn't want that. We knew we didn't want that. We knew that's not who they were, and that's not what we were about. Um, and so when we talked more about who they were instead of playing them out to be victims, that's when we were able to control that um, because I would argue there are elements in you know South Carolina and elements in North Carolina where um, people did want to be angry. Um, people didn't know how to respond. And, you know, people had come to me and said, you know, I can't believe that the like immense amount of strength that the families exemplified. Like we're over here crying, and you came and hugged us, you know. Um, and that's true. I think God gives you the strength um, that you need to deal with certain tribulations and certain um, trials. And and ultimately, it's it's the it's the idea that life is a test that they won is I think what resonated with people's minds and allowed it to be more of who they were and what their legacy was, and less vindictiveness or or, or anything to that nature, which is not of who we are it's not it's not what we were looking for what really what got me was not so much the um well i'll take it back to the to the narrative part reclaiming the narrative Uh, these are the things that i struggle with as a as an african-american muslim Mm -hmm. uh the constant um portrayal of acts of violence by when it is committed Mm-hmm. Uh, by, by white men against people of color, mm-hmm. uh, whether they be Muslim, Christian, uh, whatever, that it is always, it is always uh, portrayed in, in a manner where it's it's sanitized, mm-hmm. and 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 for lack of a better word, it's um. Well, I I, I think that is probably the best. Word. I think that is a very good word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that. That if there's anything that that is angering, angering mm-hmm. uh, for me, it, it's that process. It's, mm-hmm. it's that portrayal, uh, and it, it takes away the um, it takes away the the history, mm-hmm. the, the gravity. These things are, are portrayed as isolated incidents mm-hmm. when they're not. They're they're mm-hmm. systemic. Um, so I'm happy to see when I looked at that reclaiming the Muslim American narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think that's 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 essential. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in talking about these things, we we can have acceptance. We we can be at, at peace with you know with, mm-hmm. with the Lord's will for our you know for our lives. Um, but when we speak to one another, we we have to do it with some with some honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. yeah, I think sanitizing history, sanitizing the narrative, um, very very important things and. You know, I talked about the the work Katie Couric is doing with National yes. Geographic, and in fact, when she invited us to New York for the for the premiere, mm-hmm. when Wajahat Ali was asking her, like, kind of like, what did you learn, or, or what's something that you took away from this, and she said, you know, I didn't realize how much media had a role to play in um, in in the perception of Muslim Americans. Mm. So this is a veteran in media now realizing this. Um, so I thought that was, <laughs> I was like, heck yes. So <laughs> she has, she went from zero Muslim friends to about like seven Muslim friends, right? So she, she got some Muslim friends now. And, and the idea is that I think she recognizes that um, whitewashing and sanitizing and, um, and really just depicting white far right attacks as, as lone wolves and, and Muslims as part of some kind of a larger um, conspiracy of, of some sort. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, whitewashing and, and sanitizing, those are the words that were used in the episode of last night of the Confederate statues. So you ask, like, why are there people who uh, are defending and standing and, 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 and rioting to defend a statue that represents, you know, Robert E. Lee, who was a general in the Confederacy, and, and their main fight was was to, was to keep slavery. Right. Um, and why then is the, the 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 little marker on the ground representing where the slaves were traded is like the small little thing on the side, um, and and really they talked about um, colors of the wind or some movie like I forgot the the movie was called but it's um they have a whitewashed sanitized version of their history mm-hmm. that they they think that you know it wasn't about slavery that there was something about their culture and that's what they're told time and again so they're. They're 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 vehemently depend, they're defending their culture, um, and they take offense when you want to take down the statues because to them it represents culture. But that's not what it represents. Whoever's telling you the history of what happened here is telling you in a sanitized and a whitewashed way. When we're asking you to look at it as, as historical facts, we're right. telling you like lynchings happened here. We're telling you like this country was built on on African American like slave labor and and their rights. They weren't happy slaves. Like we kind of kind of get this idea in history that we're here like yeah they were happy you know they were they had a place and they were working and um you look at the quotes of the individuals who are 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 now um you know memorializing these large statues and you realize that like um there's no way any human being is able to to reconcile that um with their conscience but they don't because they don't believe that to be the truth because they have a whitewashed or sanitized version of history that they believe represents um, you know these statues and these monuments. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's and that's something that we, we find ourselves talking about um, quite a bit. Um, would you say so, Ibrahim? We, yeah, yeah. We get into the, the uh, ideologies that that produce uh, the public sentiment, and a lot of it's inherited. But um, not not to go uh, too far off track. Uh, do you partner with other organizations, other other Muslim organizations outside of those that are? Uh, within uh, within the lighthouse, so um, I think if we were to think of partnerships, I think we would talk more or less around the Arthur Winters Foundation and their work. Okay, right. So Arthur Winters Foundation has partnered with Van Jones and the Love Army. Oh. Um, so they've done 
and, and they continue to work there. And the thing, the difficulty with the foundation is it represents two families and a lot of individuals from those families. So they have to work a little bit more carefully on what they do and what they don't do. But um, they're they're working now to to really come up with a plan that to continue to to partner and to do uh, more of that like um, narrative building to to reduce biases against minorities and. Um, and that's where they're really headed right now. Um, they, we really like solidified this endowment, um, and we've we've funded Project Refugee Smiles for three years now. Um, and now they're looking to grow into into sharing the story of the Ice and Resent more, and, and looking for partnerships and um, in other organizations and people doing similar work. Um, again, the Lighthouse works locally, and you know our our form of of working together is we share space with so many people, right? right. Um, and we. Um, the work that we do affects so many people and, and um, you know it's 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 almost that less like flashy type of work you know it's it's the actual like work on the ground that I yeah. think um, gets you where, it's, it's grassroots kind of it gets you where you need to go but it's not as flashy and and um, you know as uh, celebrated maybe as some of the other partnerships but I really do think we're making a difference of people and people who hear the story you know a CNN article came out about the work that I have done with the lighthouse or just in general, the, it's a really, really long piece. I barely had to oh, really? <laughs> read it myself. They asked me to fact check it, but it, it's a long piece, but you know, it talks about, um, a friend of mine accepting Islam and, um, talks about us as a Muslim community, but also shares the story of the lighthouse. And I think anytime we share that story, it's, it's about, um, you know, proving to ourselves that these are who, like, this is who we are. Like, when you want to think of Muslim Americans, for whatever reason, we want to think about the the crazies out there, but we don't want to look around and realize that there are so many shining stars around us. Um, there are so many people who we look to left and right, and these are the people who represent Muslim Americans, and more or less, these are the people who feel less inclined to represent Muslim Americans because they feel like they don't. When the fringe, when the fringe elements say that, oh, we're the ones who represent. No, you don't. Sit down. Shut up. Um, <laughs> let let people doing the work talk. Um, right. And and yeah, I, I don't know what it is about people who are wise, but wise people say little, and, and you know, you know, ignorant people say a lot. And, and I think that's the that's what um, that's the thing that's really affecting the narrative that we put out as as Muslim Americans for ourselves. Uh, so does does the, does the Lighthouse Project have a uh, Facebook page, or um, what, what's your social media presence? And yeah, we mainly work on a Facebook through a Facebook page. Um, we have um, Twitter and stuff, but that's mainly run by volunteers, so it's not really as, as as built up as our Facebook page. And we have a static website, which you know has a donation link and some information about it, and. And like a, a tour you can do of the lighthouse, you can kind of click through this like 3D tour of the house of the space. Um, so mainly Facebook, and um, and the only difficulty about having youth programs have their own brands is that it's hard to market all the work that we do, right. you know, for ourselves because you know when Muslim Moon Four, Triangle Muslim Aid, all these other organizations are, are are doing their work. The idea is that it's hard to be able to um, say that it's anything to do with us, even though we're providing them the platform to do that work and um, but we continue to do some of our own programming and I'm excited about what we put out there so it's it's worth checking out okay well Radio Islam family um, we've been talking with Faris Barakat and he is the executive executive director a little tongue tied there of the Lighthouse Project um, as well as the founder 
Uh, correct. Uh, and if you want to uh, to get more information, you can go directly to Project Lighthouse. Uh, Project Light dot house. So Project we don't even have a dot com. There we have a dot, dot house. Wow. How cool is that? Wow. Okay. Project Light dot house. I'm looking. I'm like, okay, where's the comment? <laughs> okay, no. that's nice. Project dot light. Project, Project light, light dot, dot house. house. Yep. Okay. And you're going to be speaking tomorrow? Yeah, I'm here at U uh, Chicago um, to speak from 12 to 1 on policy issues regarding hate crimes. Okay. All right. So are you, man, okay. Once again, the it, it goes by very quickly, but I'm going to throw this last question out. Mm-hmm. So, um, are you very are you, are you active in uh, dealing with policymakers in North Carolina around uh, hate crimes, or do you are are you on the the national? Yeah. Scene? So, you know, policy work is is less my thing. I, I think it, it takes lawyers or, or people who who can really sit and spend a lot of time to accomplish one goal. I really admire policy workers for the work that they do. It's it's slow work and agonizing, and it's it seems kind of small until you really need that policy to kind of be in place. But for me, again, I had to focus on, on something, and that focus has been youth and, and the work we have to do around there. Um, you know, God knows if anybody wants to step up and pull up hate crime. I think people are waiting for the trial really to happen. You know, the trial hasn't started for the murders, and, um, you know, we're we're hearing all kinds of things as to why, but... But, you know, um, people want to hear the evidence, and when, once the evidence is shared, we'll, we'll have more of a case for it. And um, that's a looming dark cloud, I feel like, for me. It's like all the, the images of, of them being murdered that I haven't seen yet. So there, there's, a, there's a dark cloud coming, I feel like, for me, and I'm going to try to hold myself uh, strong through it, yeah. inshallah. Well, may Allah bless you and your family, give you, uh, give you peace and ease, and continue to uh, bless you with the great work you're doing. I mean, inshallah. All right. So we appreciate you coming to talk with us, Ferris. Been a pleasure. All right, Radio Islam family. Uh, as I said, this hour goes by really quickly. So we have come to the end of another program. Uh, we want to thank our guest, Ferris Buttercut, once again for coming in. And we want to thank our engineers over at WCEV. Let Gus. Ah, Gus. I haven't said Gus in a while. All right. Thank you, Gus. Uh, we want to thank our engineer in studio, the impressive one, Ibrahim Baig. I'm your host and producer, Tariq Alameen. Our executive producer is Abdul Malik Mujahid. Uh, we remind you that the views expressed by the host and or guests are theirs and not to be taken as a representation of Sound Vision, Inc. With that, I'm going to leave you all as we greeted you. Assalamu alaikum. May the peace that only God can give be upon you. Thank you.